have started. Hey Schmoes, you want to turn down a bit? I actually don't even know if it'd be a problem, honestly. Sorry it took me so long. I've been uh, playing into the breach even while we've been setting up. And how timely, because this is Fancy Ramen, a podcast mostly about video games. It's March 4th, 2018, and this is episode 58. I'm Neil. I'm Cookie. And I'm Scott. So, uh, before you talk about Into the Breach, the latest game to come from the creators of FTL, uh, what have you been doing this week? Um... Right now, my abs are really hurting because yesterday I went rock climbing, or I guess I should say bouldering for a good couple hours, and my body's paying for uh, that full body workout. After I'm familiar with bouldering. I was about to say, you boulder? A while. We've all played Breath of the Wild. I know what bouldering is. You're pushing boulders off cliffs. <laughs> you, yeah, you, uh, you stasis it, and then you hit it with your most durable weapon, and then you ride it. That's what I was doing. And that's why your abs hurt, is both the takeoff and the impact are very... Like, it's a full-body workout to hang yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's, it's a great core workout. But bouldering, for real. Uh, mountain climbing? Yeah. Um, not mountain climbing. This, is, this was at a, uh, like, indoor gym, um, unfortunately. I'd love to do it outdoors, but it is still way too cold for me to be doing that outside and that was the most exciting thing from your week or anything else um that's a good question i think that's probably the best thing i've done i mean i checked out a brewery in town as well the same day i had a busy day yesterday i went to the bank realized that everybody around this town knows each other by name which creeped me out um because i'm all about that anonymity in the in the world and then uh, that's why my name is on a uh very popularly syndicated podcast but besides for all that, 20 listeners um, out there hey man that's not true there's there's got to be more than that what is our what do our metrics say a million am i guessing too I, low i don't trust yeah. uh the simply pod or the wordpress podcasting um extension i use so yeah but what does it what, um, what is it lying about I don't know. I'm also I'm also curious if uh, any Russian bots have or like hacker cells have started to use our comment section as their form of communication. Oh, that would be interesting. Fancy Ramen Podcast, the number one podcast for Russian bots and hackers, <laughs> or at least are attempting to, because <laughs> I uh, I usually I have not gone through the trouble of disabling comments on the WordPress site because the WordPress site is purely just like a feed for the podcast. That's all it really does at this point. Right. I mean, there are comments. I don't know what else you'd really use it. There for. aren't comments to the public because I filter through all of the comments, which turn out to be spam, but nice. yes. And it, it ranges from like subtle to extremely obvious uh, anti-Semitic literature to what else have I seen? Oh, also just like the run of the mill. I love your content, but here, check this out so you can reach more people sort of spam that's directed um, directly at blogs. So Cookie, what have you been up to this week? Work. Just lots of extra work. Um, ooh. This is during your busy season right now, right? Uh, or I shouldn't say season, but this is because of your acquisition that you're going to be just swamped this week and 
maybe next week. Correct. And actually, yeah, today, about an hour ago, we, me and Lizzie sat down and watched uh, FTL, a short Wait, movie. Watched FTL? A short movie on, um, on YouTube. Is it based on the hit indie game? The reason I clicked on it was because I thought it was, but it might still be. I'm not 100% sure since I haven't seen the hit indie game. Short film, English and French subtitles. Yeah, that's the About one. 16 minutes mm-hmm, long? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look like it to me. Only one person in the ship, not FTL. What are you talking about? That's FTL after a couple of jumps for me. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, production value looks pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it does. It was about five minutes in Any- that I realized it wasn't based on the um, indie video game. Was- the indie hit classic FTL. Yep. So, Did you and Lizzie finish it at least? Yeah, yeah, we finished watching it. That's good. Yeah, it looks like it'd be good. I'm just making fun of one scene. It sounds like uh, we're just ready to talk about video games, so... Oh, you didn't do anything at all? I played video week, games. Neil? And that's about it. Oh, I, I was wondering if you're going to say something interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll hop right into it then. FTL is actually the perfect uh, springboard into the game I'm going to talk about, which is Into the it's Breach. It's like I planned that segue um, by watching the short film this morning. You're too good to me. Thank you for, for doing my work for me and uh, having the discipline to watch a 16-minute uh, film. And then effectively destroying the use of a segue by interrupting the transition. <laughs> <laughs> but FTL, Faster and Light, was uh, developed and produced by Subset Games, and their uh, second project that they've released is Into the Breach, a isometric grid turn-based mecha versus bug aliens uh strategy combat game and it is wildly different mechanically from ftl however it has the same kind of charming pixel graphics that um, are reminiscent of ftl and it also features the roguelike or sort of permadeath that FTL also had, where every run is ultimately going to end in your success or the death of your entire crew. Um, And then you start from the beginning. Except the one uh, twist to Into the Breach about uh, death in the game is if you fail your objectives and you either allow your power... Well, if you allow your power grid to go down and you uh, fail that objective you can carry one pilot that you have in your mechs over into your next game by stepping into the breach, which is like a uh, rift that allows that single pilot to transport themselves into an alternate timeline to try again. So every time you fail, you've condemned that particular timeline to uh, death and destruction by these alien Vec but one guy gets out of it and he gets to try again and save a different timeline. So um, does it address that? Is, is it a matter of like, does he go back in time and then you're able to correct that potential uh, failure then? Or I, because I, I realize it's like you're going back in time as in restarting the game, right? Right. And so uh, to answer your question, he's not going back in time 
to I I imagine what the character is doing is going back to a maybe a separate timeline completely as opposed to generating a new time point. Like um I think the best way to describe this in an audio format is instead of there being a forking path where you went down one path of the fork and then you fucked up really bad. So you go back to where that fork is at. And now you, let's say your success is then the other part of the fork. Instead, it seems more like you are jumping to a completely separate timeline that is in parallel with the one that you are in, but also slightly backward on it. Because the game utilizes randomized, um, I guess, missions and encounters on these four different uh, corporate islands, as they call them, which all have different uh, objectives and hazards, as well as um, different, uh, what am I trying to think of? Also different environments as well. There's one that's like a sort of sandy desert and its uh, other features are rocks and limited water or large crevasses. While another one is mountains and forests and grass and trees uh, with a greater abundance of water. Uh, there's a ice, there's an icy sort of island. And then there's another one that I haven't reached yet. So I can't comment on it, but I'm trying very hard to get to it. Um, and when you're jumping back in this timeline, the island that you were at previously, if you select, say, the, uh, let's say the most Earth-like island um, after failing at it previously, you'll find that the regions that you have the mission encounters in remain the same, but oftentimes the actual like infrastructure there or what the mission is change every time you go. And so if I went to uh, an area that I had just failed at on the Earth-like island previously that had a train station and I'm trying to protect the train and the buildings, this time it may have some satellite launch silos that I'd be protecting instead. So it's the same geographical location, but completely different outfit of uh, buildings and objectives. So the parallel universe aspect of it more or less justifies the existence of RNG and uh, procedurally generated maps. Yeah, for the most part. Except the one thing that doesn't change is the uh, lady on the desert island is a bitch to me every single time, no matter how successful I am. She's just mean. She's this mean old woman who yells at me even when I'm successful. Not successful enough, apparently. I know. It's it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I want to find the timeline where you're not horrible to me and where I actually want to save this island. Um, it's got the same type of uh, flair and dialogue that uh, FTL was... I thought FTL did a really good job with very little text, but that text being quite descriptive in what it does. In this game, your pilots will shout quips based upon what's happening in the game. And depending on how you clear certain objectives, the uh, corporate leader of the island, who is the one uh, giving you the missions, will also comment on what you've done, whether it's been like incredibly helpful, partially helpful, or you like got by just in the nick of time and they're pretty disappointed with how you handled things. And then people in the buildings will also have um, comments that they make before and end, at the beginning and end of a uh, mission. So it's a lot of like 
fun short little flavor text and then instead of having different races and uh ships like ftl had the two variables that you get to select for um, your character usage are the mech squads that you release which you have to unlock with points that you earn from uh, gaining achievements so this game really does make you kind of hunt for achievements to have more things to do and utilize. And then the other one is the uh, pilots. You get different pilots that have different abilities that transfer to the squad or the mech that they're piloting. Um, and they're, they're pretty entertaining as well. Each one of them has a specific kind of like character and personality that comes out while you play them in the game and they give their quips. There's one guy who's this cheesy dude. I think his last name's Quan. I can't remember his first name, but he's very cheesy and he reminds me of Neil a lot and I like to use because him. Because he's Chinese. Uh he might be Chinese, <laughs> I don't know. He's he might even, he I guess he's probably Asian. So there's that connection for you Neil, if that's what you want. But it's more the uh it's more the like goofy comments than anything else. How many hours do you think you're going to dump into it uh, this next week? Well, I put in eight hours this week, and this was my more lax week than next week will be. I've also been busy at work, but probably not to the degree that Cookie has. But probably another eight hours, maybe even more. I might play a lot today. This is a great game. It's probably actually going to um, overtake the number of hours I put into FTL because I like this grid-based strategy even more than the micromanagement that FTL had. What's really disappointing about this game is I'd have even more hours if it were available on Switch. I mean, it almost has the capacity to be like a mobile game that you could enjoy on a tablet too. Have they, have they talked about console releases or anything else? Currently, it's only for PC that it's accessible or available. And the only thing that they've talked about is releasing a Linux and a uh, Macintosh version. So I don't know if they'll get to that or not. I Didn't FTL ultimately transition into being uh, available for mobile devices or like can you play it on your iPad? I don't actually know. You can know. play it on iPad, and I'm assuming in ex by extension, uh, iPhone. I don't think there's an Android port for it. Yeah, so if FTL could have an app, I think it's absolutely accessible um, for Into the Breach to also get an app. And it is an exceptionally fun and, I think, deep game. And so... If you were to buy it for, say, $10 on your mobile device, I think it would be a total steal. And this would be an absolute winner for the Nintendo Switch. I, had, I wanted to wait until I found out if it was being released for Switch, but I was just so curious and interested in the game that I bought it for computer. Figure if uh, the time comes, I can get it for a deal on the Switch. If it ever releases for it, then I'll probably pick it up there as well. Cool. <laughs> I know. I just it's uh it's an awesome game. It's a wild ride. Um it's very difficult. I've been playing on easy mode for most of the game because I started on normal and I could not clear an island. And it seems like one of the games in which you really benefit from gathering a lot of the resources like new pilots to use 
and uh, new mechs by completing achievements in the easy mode and then try those out once you get more comfortable and adept at using them on normal and hard. Scott, have you played anything else this week? Uh, that's been it, really. I've played some League with you, but I haven't touched any other games. Into the Breach has kept me, like, just any free moment I have, I've been putting into that game for right now. Well, Cookie, what have you, what have you been playing this week? Well, thus mentioning the Cookie's been having an extra busy week, so I've been doing 10 to 12 hour days last week, but as soon as I get home, I've been um, just jumping on more Monster Hunter. They've released the second half of the Horizon Zero Dawn event, so now my character now looks like Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn, and I can honestly say that I'm not disappointed in this armor set. Um, The Ryu armor set that first came out was just a low-rank armor set, so you know by the time you were able to even get that armor set, it would have been completely useless to even wear, because it's too weak. But now, the Aloy, it's high rank. And she looks cool. Then I got the Aloy bow. The mission wasn't all that difficult. And they also released a um, a helmet called a Wriggly helmet. A Wriggler? Wiggler helmet? You're like this little uh, snake creature that pops out of the ground. And kind of, you know when you go to the aquariums and they got the little worm things that pop out of the ground and they all look in one direction? And they kind of like sway with the ocean? Yeah. You pretty much have a helmet that's like that. And it's adorable because it looks like a Muppet because it's like shittily made, but it's just wonderful because you're, you had to be like bobbing in the wind as you're running. Is that also part of the, uh, the crossover event? Nope. Okay. It's just a random thing that they were like, you know what? This would be a really cute helmet. Let's make an event. So people have to catch a bunch of these things. So then you could take the, a bunch of those things to the craftsman and then he can, um, make a helmet out of them. And it'll make it look like it and have googly eyes and everything. It's so wonderful. Yeah, so just been playing a whole lot of Monster Hunter. And I guess I should say over the weekend, I did go to Iowa. So I got the PlayStation VR back, which includes the PlayStation camera. So now I want to start after everything gets unbusy, streaming for an hour a day of me going through a new playthrough of Monster Hunter Mm. World. Are you planning on making it like educational as well? Kind of like talking about the game system and so forth as you go through? Yeah. See, what I was hoping was that you were going to say that because you had the PlayStation camera, you were now going to make use of it with NBA 2K18 and put your face in the game. I have to get NBA 2K18 first. (laughs) (laughs) Which I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. (laughs) They seem like such cash grabs at this point. Pretty much. But yeah, so now that I got my PlayStation camera back, I can finally start playing more. I do want to get into more PSVR games as well. I know you were mentioning something the other day. Yeah, there was one particular game that looked interesting uh, when it was announced, I think, last E3, and that was The Inpatient. Oh, yeah, that just came out The prequel for uh, Until Dawn, and it takes place inside of the um, mental institute, the asylum or sanatorium that you explore in Until Dawn. But uh, having seen most of it by this point, um, it doesn't seem nearly as clever or as well done as Until Dawn. It really seems more like a testing ground of what PSVR can do by that company, which is weird because the same company did uh, Until Dawn Rush of Blood before, 
So like you, you could kind of see that as like the tech demo. And this one is maybe the more thought out implementation of how to get quote unquote until dawn style gameplay into a VR experience or not until dawn specifically, but adventure game with that company's like approach. But it, it kind of fails spectacularly on a lot of different levels. And uh, it, it's like a good effort. And I definitely think it's a scary game, uh, but it kind of lit me down. Sweet. I'm trying to think of if there are any PSVR games at this point that that really drew my attention. But like, aside from the mouse game um, that just came out, most mouse, yeah, mo- yeah. Moose. Like, I'm really curious as to what a well done like non VR perspective style game like that. Since you're like technically you're you're seeing through the eyes of like this helper to the mouse, but but your human size, yeah, exactly. Apparently, mouse size. It's getting really good reviews. So it's kind of like you're overlooking the situation as opposed to being in the mouse's shoes. And I think that's an interesting take, assuming you don't just start vomiting all over the place by force camera movements and so forth. Like after you talked about uh, the the red threat one, um, mm-hmm. uh, red eye, red watch. Yeah, I, like I've gotten way more curious about VR games and. I'm just, I'm just starting to think that maybe we're at the point now where like the initial push by PlayStation VR or by PlayStation to get good games on the PSVR platform has started to dwindle out. Now we're actually starting to see better titles hit uh, Oculus and HTC Vive. It makes sense because right now PlayStation VR is just doing everything they can to get as many games as possible because a lot of people have the PlayStation VR and don't have the room for the Oculus or the um, room scale and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of, I almost bought, again, um, Super Hot just for the PSVR, though. But then I was like, wait a second, you've already got this. And it, it'd probably it. be a lesser game, too, because you can't do full 360 with the PlayStation VR. You, in theory, can, but you really can't. Yeah. I wonder if there was any moments where I would need full 360 on Super Hot VR. I'll have to play through it again. Anyway, yeah, just been playing a lot of Monster Hunter and got the PlayStation VR back, so... I'll probably jumping into some random VR, more random VR games. I'll I'll take a look too and see if there's anything I'll pick up for you. Like if there's anything that I know, I'd be curious about doing some content on. I know the game something Speed Vector just came out. That's getting good reviews. Speed Vector. I'm. I take it it's a racer then, or yes. Um. Speed Vector VR. Or Sprint Vector? Yeah, Sprint Vector. Yeah. So that just came out and it's getting, from the few podcasts I listen to about video games, um, it's getting good reviews. It's got the full locomotion, not nausea-inducing, inducing apparently, even though it's just, yeah, go fast. Gotta go fast. So it's, it's both on PSVR and like the Vive and the Rift. The proper Sonic uh emulation or simulator that we've always been waiting for pretty much i may decide to pick that up who knows so you know you said you've been playing video games i have it's unfortunate i unfortunately don't have much to say it's i've just been playing the quote-unquote late game content of uh, breath of the wild uh so i've gotten all four divine beasts and now i'm just basically going after shrines oh actually i do have something to say uh the the DLC content that they've added over the last... Uh, I, I think they added this particular expansion or pack of content six months after release, but it added uh, more like backstory and cutscenes to each of the champions along 
with like the gameplay mechanic reward of giving you either improved use of the four powers you get or lower cooldowns and uh like i feel like it's kind of shitty that these things are not shitty as in like it's an intentional uh like it was it was i i don't think it was intentional that they withheld this content but it sucks that this content was not put into the game proper because it's aside from feeling maybe a little like slapped on or added on like it doesn't feel as well put together or well paced as the rest of the gameplay uh and and the story for that matter it gives you a lot more insight to those four champions and i think it helps better develop those characters i think the story in that game is actually a lot better than uh i originally thought it was or was going to be yes it feels kind of like it's very disconnected to the gameplay, but it is justified with the, within the whole idea of you have amnesia and you have to go to these points on the map or look at these pictures to find more of the story out. But like after doing so, like or after playing through the game and getting all the memories, it kind of occurred to me that they did a really good job of actually pushing the player to get certain memories first. Like the first memory that you would assumedly get uh, is the last memory or the what you think is the last memory in your picture uh, in your memories uh, picture uh, album I should say because you what are memory was that it well so is that the one near the lake it's the one where you are at the gates of uh, uh, the spring of wisdom or leading up to like oh. the Vanaru mountain range so you know, okay. I got that one because I was in an area I shouldn't have been in. Well, so first they they actually recommend you get it, or at least I I am interpreting it this way. They recommend you get that memory first because as soon as you leave Impa's hut or house with like the whole like oh shit now I need to go and find all of these memories, the painter, the traveling Shika painter, tells you about that if you talk to him, and he's usually assuming it's day right outside of the hut, right by the uh, the goddess uh, statue. He told me about it. I was just in an area I shouldn't have been in, <laughs> wandering around aimlessly. <laughs> well, it, it's really, really interesting how they've crafted these experiences because immediately after that gate, you find a Lionel. I think it's a blue Lionel, and that Lionel will fuck you up if you're not prepared for it. Hence why I was in an area I shouldn't right, have been right. in. <laughs> so, so it's almost like the game tells you to go to that gate, get that memory. And then backtrack. Yeah, backtrack or get killed and then reload and backtrack. I, I did it the opposite way. So if I believe correctly that gate, you like go down the hill to, to meet the Lionel, like down some stairs. So, um, so if you're walking up to where the memory is which is on the let's say the green side of the gate because on the other side you have uh mount lanairu mm -hmm. in the background um you're walking up like some ruins and you're you're taking the incline to mount lanairu and so going down to it you'd be coming down the mountain and you'd encounter the lionel before the game yeah. so i did it that way by okay the way. so that's okay. why i was yeah. wandering in Places I shouldn't have been. You snowboarded down the mountain, and then you're like, oh, what's this big lion thing? And I was like, oh, shit. Run, run, run. Keep running. Cutscene. What? Okay. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll probably have more to say about this once I finish the game this week, but uh, I, I did kind of want to say that if you guys hadn't played the DLC, um, 
if you happen to own it from the season pass or something, then you should definitely go back and get those cutscenes because it's definitely made me appreciate the care, like each of the champions and and Zelda more so because these memories seem to relate more to Zelda and those champions as opposed to Link to those champions, um, which I think. Like you know, we we haven't really talked about it much before, but I I've I'm aware of a lot of the opinions that people put on uh, on the internet and Reddit and so forth about this particular Zelda, and I think a lot of them are unfounded. But we'll definitely get more into that next week if anyone's interested. Are people hating on Zelda because she holds resentment for Link? I think they're hating on her because her eyebrows are too thick. I think they're hating on her because of that voice actress. No offense. Yeah, that that voice isn't the best. Uh, in fact, I feel like it might be the worst voice in in the game. And not not saying it's terrible. I but I am saying like, I'm saying it's terrible. I think every other character is voiced or has a more appropriate voice actress or actor. Yeah, like that. Uh, the Rito champion. He has the voice of a douchebag. <laughs> he's, he's a, a douchebag. He's a dick. Like it works perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like I. You know, just just to quickly say, I imagine they intend for people to dislike him, right? Yeah, he doesn't have any redeeming qualities in his relationship to Link, at least. Like, he's straight up an adversarial rival. Like, he doesn't like Link, and Link's character doesn't seem to acknowledge the fact that he doesn't like him, but we as the player know that. The Rito character, he's the The Falcon. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, he's Falcon from Fox's crew. Oh yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, he's literally Falco. But Falco's also, at least from what I remember from those games, one of the better pilots. Dependable. Yeah. Whereas, whereas yeah. this guy just goes into an uh, into his mecha and dies, and it's like, oh well, I guess I have to bail you out a hundred years later, you dick. <laughs> and he's still not thankful about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. Um, what can you do? <laughs> I, I see. I kind of envisioned him to be more of Gary from Pokemon, just. Wait, no, yeah. but Gary's actually a better trainer than Nash. Yeah. Yeah, Gary's better than Nash. He's cooler and more popular, too. He has a sports car, and he has women around him. <laughs> like, Gary is, like, a month later, he, he has sports, a sports car and women. <laughs> yeah. So, I've, I've got a question for you, Neil. Hmm. You've been looking at a picture of the cover art of Detroit Become <laughs> Human. What's going on there? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about... Uh, yeah, th- this isn't really news, but we can talk about it real quick. Uh, the <laughs> Quantic Dream showed the cover art for Detroit Become Human, and a lot of people rightfully think the cover is, you know, not the best. It's a little cliche, yada, yada. And there are better covers from Quantic Dream's backlog, for that matter, too. But this particular uh, article from Polygon is bringing up a bunch of uh, comparisons and fixes that people have done. One takes uh, one takes an Eminem, um, or a shot from Eminem's movie. Uh, oh God, what what is that movie called? Eight, Eight Mile. Mile, yeah, and uh, puts him in the uh, in the cover art instead. There's also one where it has a side by side of. Detroit become humans cover art and Shrek's cover art. <laughs> that's that's my favorite so far. I'm enjoying the new funky funky mode. <laughs> that's pretty good too. Anywho, uh, before we talk about news, we had a special topic that uh, Scott and I had come across when I was expressing my enjoyment and elation for uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, and that is 
Zelda music in general, what is your favorite soundtrack, guys? And why? And I guess before we begin, we re- I realize we realize that this is a super subjective thing, you know, favorite anything that is artistically driven. Uh, there's no real right answers, but let's throw that out the window for this. What's the best Zelda soundtrack? So I got to hear both you and Scott's opinions. And while I didn't have one at that time, I decided to go out of my way to listen to the Zelda soundtracks on Spotify, or at least covers of the Zelda soundtracks on Spotify. Because unfortunately, they don't have the original OSTs. Covers. Yeah, the covers I'm curious about. Um, so there, there were some good covers of some Zelda things and some bad covers. But, but like every Zelda soundtrack, at least a majority of the Zelda soundtracks share like 10 of the same songs across them. So arguing which Zelda soundtrack is the best is really, really becomes like an argument of which arrangement is the best. And so covers don't, don't accurately portray what uh, the ocarina or the, excuse me, the, uh, what the Hylian lullaby or like high well, Zelda's theme, like what Zelda's theme is in any specific game, right? Because it's a cover. Well, it's a cover of an, a specific arrangement, though. Because like I've heard Zelda's arrange Zelda's theme from a cover of a Link's Awakening. I don't remember which one. You could have a cover of Ocarina of Time's Zelda theme, uh, which is called like the Royal Lullaby or whatever the shit, and. It's just done with better orchestrated instruments, but like ultimately that is more or less the same thing as the Zelda theme from, or Zelda's theme from like Twilight Princess. I decided to stick with just piano covers. So I actually set a parameter for myself. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to listen to a cover by this person, listen to a cover by this person. My, my, like you can't see it, but there's an aneurysm growing in my brain right now. He's giving me the default tip face. (laughs) (laughs) i want to say default that's like the that's like i just heard something stupid face sorry isn't that the default tiff face no (laughs) (laughs) but no so i set my parameters for that because like i said didn't have access to the internet for like downloading osts on my phone for while i was at work you you can youtube like soundtracks but it's then super i have to keep easy. that's then what i have I did, to keep the youtube open and okay okay so do that? you've qualified us by telling us that you are like unqualified for this argument so what is your yes. answer <laughs> i'm still going arc arena of time for myself mm-hmm. okay but, but like that's the first game that has uh song of storms that's a super mm-hmm. That's, that's a good song. <laughs> and like, granted, uh, again, I, w- when we were talking about this before, we shouldn't say like an album's better because it first introduced a song. Absolutely. Yeah. We did play that ground rule, at least, that because Zelda is almost always going to have like thematic callbacks or just, uh, yeah, different arrangements of songs that are integral at this point to the game or the storyline, that uh, just because it comes first does not give it any. Uh, what would you say? Like it? That's not any sort of uh, heightened status from it being remastered. Later. Exactly. Not every game has Song of Storms, so that's still a good choice. Ocarina has a lot of good, good tracks. And the reason I chose Ocarina, unfortunately, is because it held the most member berries for me. So I've got the most um, memories with the particular song. So there's a lot of um. 
oh gosh, weight to the song, more weight to the songs as if like giving them a dry run like I did with um, Wind Waker, A Link to the Past, and I didn't actually go back and listen to any of um, Original Zelda. Yeah, Original or- Zelda are the the newest one that came out. I just forgot what it was called. Breath of the Wild. Cookie's Breath uh, of the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> the one you <laughs> aptly named after me. I completely forgot what it was called. Yeah. I'm afraid to go on a tan that I'm going to go on a tangent. So Scott, I'm gonna let you go next. No, I want to hear your tangent, please. There's a there's a reason that we got into a big discussion okay, about Okay, this. so I started to think I'll cut you off if your tangent gets crazy. I started to think about aesthetics in general when it came to uh graphics and music for that matter. And part of me like realizes that pixel art is shitty but it's the fact that i began playing video games when pixel art was the best art that was being done at that time that i've at least electric like well, yeah yes yes sorry within video games i should i should add uh neil saw the mona lisa and was like what, what the fuck is show this? me this in 16 bit i mean i i would still yeah. argue that maybe the mona lisa is maybe like one of the most overhyped paintings have you seen starry Agreed. night impressionist era baby starry night is awesome have you seen starry Not night in, in person. person no no yeah don't that, that wait don't. really it's bad don't <laughs> okay it's like you see this box as, see, as you point to a cardboard box for our listeners yep uh-huh. you, you see this you see the size of this box what would you how would you measure this box ignoring the 13 so by j- six just by like, five and a half now just now just make it about this big ignoring the dimensions so you're saying starry night is a tiny small, it's I a mean, tiny tiny the painting. mona lisa is also a, a pretty tiny, small tiny painting. painting yeah i i don't necessarily think that's the downside i thought you were insinuating more like the brush the brush strokes as you got closer to it the painting were not great they're not that impressive okay it's kind of like going to see that one dude who paints the white paintings in person like his paintings in person did he do the beatles cover art for the white album no <laughs> unfortunately not <laughs> too many colors in that on that uh, album for for his taste okay so either way art is subjective like boo I, I i would say that pixel art in general looks better current days when we embrace it or pair it with things that are thematically appropriate with pixel art you wouldn't put an orchestral string track over a pixel well, be- before we game. jump to music like i would say secret of mana since that's kind of topical looked awesome as a super nintendo game but that uh, in that era but when we think about a game that is all about traveling around a globe and seeing all of these different locations in different tundras and climates completely different landscapes if we were going to make that game today, we would not want to use pixel art. Like we would want to use either if we stuck with 2D, like Waller color painted backgrounds or like, you know, as fucking Witcher as we can get with our backgrounds. Or, yeah, I mean, Breath of the Wild for that matter too looks pretty good as well. If you were to look at Hyper Light Drifter, that game does not suffer from being pixel based because it the pixel identity of that game is what makes it look so fucking snazzy. Yeah. Now, when we think about music, um, I, I would say that maybe the, the analog here is that music that was designed to be orchestrated or sound like it was orchestrated 
made in the 16-bit era and the early 32-bit era doesn't translate as well by age. Now, we'll have nostalgia for like Ocarina of Time is actually a great example. That album, if you were to just show someone today that had no video game knowledge, they like before they read into the actual writing, like the com- uh, composition, they would listen to it and be like, what the fuck Yamaha keyboard was this recorded on? <laughs> <laughs> Unless they listen to the... Uh, Orchestra doing it. There is one thing I'll shout out, and that's the uh, ZREO arrangements for Legend of Zelda. I don't know if you've that heard That is not a game soundtrack. We're talking about OSTs. Okay, okay. I, I just thought I'd point that out for any listeners that are at at this point, pretty enthralled about our discussion about music and how I agree with your point that voices that are trying to replicate what we later can just have as uh, the voice of an actual played instrument due to technology limitations are unfortunately normally going to pale in uh, like impressiveness or comparison to later audio tracks that do the same thing with a better voice and or legitimate recording and and with that in mind i'm going to also say that the the other side of my argument stems purely from the fact that like if we let nostalgia factor in too much we lose the artistic value uh, or like the what the true artistic value of an album is right and granted, Absolutely. a video game soundtrack relies entirely on how it relates to the game itself and the story beats of that game. So you, you kind of have to keep, or I, I'm trying to keep into consideration like how much things touched me when I played that game and how much things, like how the music felt at that moment in time, even though that's going to be super flawed because there's no way I can go back to, you know, 21-year-old Neil or 15-year-old Neil. Although, funny enough, since I only actually beat Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and Wind Waker within the last two years, it's way more topical for me, or at least in my position, I'm able to analyze this more. Yeah, you only have to go back to 42-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess ultimately, like those were the big ground rules I set for myself as I went as I was going through the albums, and maybe I'm setting these ground rules up because I want to say specifically that Breath of the Wild is by far the best Zelda album we've had. And so here's where I cut you off, right? This is <laughs> I said this is the point where I cut hold on. You I'm off. gonna let you finish. <laughs> I know. No, go right ahead. Um, I just did want to hop in and say that the rule set that you tried to define for yourself is pretty much the exact same thing I did for myself. I know we left it pretty open on how we wanted to interpret this uh, discussion. I wouldn't say necessarily argument, but uh, I tried to follow pretty much the exact same premises without any other real adjustments to it. And and now I'd love to hear your opinion on why Breath of the Wild is your number one. So... Breath of the Wild does a few things that I think no other Zelda soundtrack does. Uh, the first one is that it starts to bring out like an importance of subtlety within its music. Like a lot of that game is you running around collecting uh, rush rooms. Rush rooms? I think those are the ones that you have to get. Those are the purple ones off of cliff Yes, faces. because we all have to get those 50 rush rooms for that jackass. And during those parts, the music is so like is subtle in a way that if you're not paying attention, you can kind of just ignore it entirely. And I think that's actually a strength 
only because when the music needs to be apparent and totally obvious and and like the driving force of your emotions within cutscenes, it's very capable of doing that. Which also brings up the point that like I don't think I've ever had a Miyazaki or Studio Ghibli moment in a video game where like the soundtrack alone just starts to push me into the brink of tears. Not really tears, but starts to push me so far into one direction of like the emotion spectrum that even subpar writing or subpar voice acting cannot ruin the moment for me. I think also one thing that you could note, and I don't know why I'm helping you with your (laughs) points here, um, but because there are definite themes for certain activities that can happen in the large and open world of Breath of the Wild, having a very sparse soundtrack also allows for very fluid and easy transition. As soon as you're targeted by a guardian or you hop on your horse, um, you don't have nearly the same jarring effect as transitioning from one area to another like many other games have. Those themes instead just hop right into the empty space that the track had previously. There are also a lot of really nice quality of life uh, features we can say with the soundtrack too. Like there are night and day themes of each city. Terrytown in particular, Atari Town, has, uh, even has multiple themes based on the, the development of the city. And shit, man, just, I don't know if you guys have listened to, like, listened to the individual songs, like the, the town songs, like the Korok Forest song. That's the best song. I love that. There are just so many super catchy songs. Like, I, I only saw Howl's Moving Castle when I was, like, 25 or 26, uh, so not that long ago. The the main theme of that particular movie, just like even if you've never seen it before, or at least in my case, just made me feel this weird sense of familiarity that I think has a lot to do based on the arrangement of the Miyazaki films. And I like this kind of gets into that nostalgia thing for a bit, but I, I would almost yield it's less about that particular particular studio but more about classical arrangement in general and what we humans find appealing or soothing with like well composed string sections Mm -hmm. that level of quality with the arrangement i don't think has been done in a zelda game before and then the rest of my argument is basically subjective uh preferences to the songs the song soundtrack is also really long too so they have the benefit of having a lot of the old themes which I is mean, Skyward Sword is also like six hours in length for its soundtrack. Which that's the one album I haven't heard yet. I used to listen to that quite a bit in college when I was doing uh, a homework and other stuff. I listened to quite a few Zelda soundtracks when I was uh, trying to get work done in my later years in college. Uh, and it's okay, but I don't think it's a particularly... I actually don't think it's that strong of a soundtrack. Um, though I did want to throw in a single shout out for that game because the uh, Bazaar in that game has multiple themes depending on who you're talking to. And that was the coolest implementation of music in a game that I had encountered at that point in time in my life. So I, I did want to note that. Uh, and that probably my favorite soundtrack is actually not even the one that I think is the best, but the, the one that I, I had a really hard time uh, both dissociating nostalgia but also my personal preferences for traditionally more uh upbeat or up-tempo music was uh wind waker so i just wanted to toss those out there um since we're talking about music and the things that we like but enter twilight princess my least favorite zelda game 
uh, because I've never played uh, Zelda 2. And yet, I have to say, this is probably the best soundtrack I've encountered in all of the games. Uh, there's certainly, I think, a very high quality of the instruments and voices used for um, Breath of the Wild. But sometimes I find the uh, vastness of space in the main like field themes for Breath of the Wild to be pretty lacking. I see a lot of really cool technical work too done with the uh, like Guardian soundtracks and whatnot. But ultimately, when I went back and listened through most of the Twilight Princess soundtrack, which is of similar length to both Skyward Sword and um, Breath of the Wild, I found that there were a lot of things that were implemented effectively for the very first time in that soundtrack. And that's what made it really stand out to me is not only probably the best I've heard, but also um, like a very effective step towards the better music that we heard in Skyward Sword, Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. We get to hear a very large orchestral group um, really for the second time. I think before that, the only other... Um, large orchestral pieces were happening in Wind Waker. And previous to that, the limitation of the hardware prevented you from having too many voices on a single track. Um, however, not only do we have more instruments and a much greater diversity coming in to a lot of the tracks in this game, there is also a huge amount of more uh, like vocal I guess, vocal voices that are added to the music in this game, which was really cool because previous to that, I had only experienced most of the voices in Legend of Zelda tracks to be that like lower Gregorian chant in pitch. You know what I'm talking about? Oh. Yeah, in those like baritone and even bass ranges, uh, tenor at best, but you hear a lot more of like a uh, alto soprano range available in the voices that they add to these. And uh, I thought that that added a huge amount of depth to a lot of these tracks. I also wanted to note too that, um, you know who, do you know who composed Breath of the Wild? Because it was not the same as previous Zelda games. No, I did not. But uh, I actually kept myself blind because I felt that, like, Joe, knowing Joe Hisaishi was the piano performer, uh, was already like I felt like that was already swaying my opinion. Gotcha. So um, I did want to note that Koji Kondo has he did. I actually didn't check to see if Koji Kondo did Skyward Sword, but I know Koji Kondo worked pretty much exclusively on the Zelda games up until twilight princess and then maybe he did skyward sword as well i'm not certain but the composer for breath of the wild was manaka kataka uh kato kata kataoka i'm really butchering this and i'm sorry about it um and this is actually her first legend of zelda soundtrack that she's done in entirety the other games she's worked on are like super smash bros for the wii u and animal crossing Oh, she did do uh, Spirit Tracks for Legend of Zelda. So The game no she, one played. Yeah, I never played that one, sadly. Um, but I'm really excited to see what she has in her future because I think Breath of the Wild is an incredibly strong soundtrack. 
I just found that there were a lot of areas in which I saw the Twilight Princess soundtrack did things that were new and different with the arrangement of previous themes and added a lot more like substance and flesh to these tracks. They had a very grand scale to many things that they did, but like you were saying that sometimes less is more, a lot of the dungeon themes and whatnot were very expansive and besides having a pretty um, low-key like percussion section there was not much more to some of the uh more disparate tracks for dungeons and it made sense for the spaces that they were trying to um give that vibe to the probably last thing is that i think also it's the first time i remember encountering a zelda game that had a lot more dissonance in um some of the tracks especially anything that was representing the uh twilight characters or region we were often encountering sounds that were um more traditionally electronic a lot more buzzing and when we did have strings and whatnot they were meant to create like these dissonant sounds that are not necessarily um pleasing to any ear and so i just really liked this soundtrack in its entirety for it encompassing so many things and like sticking the landing on most compositions while having the greatest diversity between uh, track to track to track. And Breath of the Wild seemed more isolated. Like I feel as though, and I, I don't actually want to like give too many negative comments towards Breath of the Wild because I think it's one of the strongest soundtracks I've heard otherwise in the series and it's also the one that you've heralded as your favorite so I also want to like appreciate that opinion but the reason that I did, couldn't pick or agree to Breath of the Wild for this is because I can think of several strong tracks in Breath of the Wild but the other issue I encountered is that they weren't um as accessible through the game you're traveling in the main space and so that overworld hyrule theme in the day and night are the primary track you hear and there just is not um there's not enough substance to it for it to be memorable whatsoever you, you hear a lot of the minimalistic like joe hisaishi piano like that that yeah, is and the, the piano in that, game, of that is game amazing and I, that was the other thing I wanted to nod to is that if you listen to the Guardian theme closely, like the piano in it is wild. It's so impressive. I can't even imagine how you can play it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, why I, that's how I came to the determination that Twilight Princess is uh, the most aggressively unique soundtrack and yet still wonderful with everything that it rearranges from previous games and works. Yeah, I, I respect that opinion. Twilight Princess is probably my third, my second or third favorite album from Zelda. Yeah, and I hated that game, so I also felt like it passed my uh, bias test too. So, so I'm curious when you say that, how did you feel about the story in Twilight Princess? Uh, I actually liked the story in Twilight Princess. The gameplay itself was not a blast for me. Like, I just felt part of it absolutely is i played that game when i was younger and it was a rented game and so i had rushed through a lot of it and maybe if i had spent more time with it my opinion would be different so but, what, I, what um, I don't get is that a lot of people that want zelda to be 
more of a linear experience seem to forget that or i mean i maybe these are the same people that also really like twilight princess uh the gameplay of twilight princess it is very linear it's one of the most linear games i've played in the zelda series it might be the most linear actually i'm trying to think if ocarina would also like because ocarina is fairly linear as well ocarina i can make the argument that you can finish the fire temple before the forest temple um and that really causes like an opportunity for a break in the linearity that alone makes it uh less linear i guess yeah because right because twilight princess there's you have to complete everything in the order that it's presented to you yeah and so I think it's a strong narrative, but as far as a game that's, you know, heralded very much for player exploration, um, it doesn't have those strengths as much. I, I guess the only thing I've, I've really feel the need to say is that, like, it sucks going back to some of those old soundtracks and realizing that they just don't age as well. And I'm trying to be impartial here, but when you or and and accept the fact that there are limitations based on the hardware, but it's weird to think that Ocarina of Time came out after Final Fantasy VII and not long before Final Fantasy VIII. And those soundtracks, like there are some track, there are some individual songs from Final Fantasy VII in particular that sound like garbage now and. They're like they they are songs that people would say are like their favorites. Like we're talking, uh, God, I'm Sophie forgetting Hill. names now. <laughs> like that that song actually still sounds pretty okay. Like there are definitely some cheesy sounding voices in it, but like that that's a pretty good example of like how surprisingly good a PlayStation One can sound. And Final Fantasy Eight as a whole, like that soundtrack actually is pretty pretty well produced. Like aside from Laguna's theme, but that theme is also meant to sound like some crazy ass disco battle theme music, anyways. So, God, I kind of want to go back and play those games now. No, you don't. I can't. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't want to play <laughs> Final Fantasy VII, but I kind of want to play Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, let's talk about some news, though. So, guys, the day has finally come that it is no longer off topic to talk about Trump. On March 1st, Trump stated he would be meeting with figures from the video game industry to discuss violence in video games. That said, the Entertainment Software Association, a lobbyist group uh, representing the, better, the interests of the video game industry, also known as the ESA, stated that they had not received any communication or invitation from Trump pertaining to a meeting. Because he wasn't planning on meeting with them. But he's, he did want to tell people he was. Yeah, he was probably just going to go to some crazy indie developer that he knows who lives next door to him. He's going to go talk to Peter Molyneux. Yeah. It's like, what? Oh my gosh, that would be such a mess. He's going to go talk to Palmer. He's going to go talk to... Da- oh, oh, that that's actually probably true. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Palmer Lucky, I hear you invented video games. What do you think about violence in video games? Well, I make guns now. Can I get out of this... Yeah, can I get out of this naked outfit first? <laughs> uh... What about uh what about if you met up with David Cage and they could talk about being creepy old guys together? Mm. It's like I once rendered uh Ellen Page's nipples in my video game and Trump's like you're doing good work. <laughs> I've talked to the greatest video game makers of all time and we've come to a conclusion. Ban the video games, ban the Muslims. And that conclusion is the uh the Chrono Trigger PC port apparently sucks ass. That's so sad. 
That is sad. Yep. It kind of came without any sort of fanfare or uh, like lead up. Just last week, Chrono Trigger suddenly on Steam. And uh, it is apparently a port of their mobile version, which at first I thought was potentially a good thing because the mobile version took the extra dungeons from the DS release of Chrono Trigger. And then, uh, yeah, it turned out to be kind of shitty for reasons we don't necessarily have to go into here. I will say, I feel like of every video game franchise, Chrono Trigger fans probably have it the worst at this point. Was the DS release any good? I didn't get to play that. I, my experience with Chrono Trigger, very sadly, was like just a ROM that I played in college. I mean, at this point, that's the best way to play it, aside from getting, you know, a Super Nintendo cartridge of it. I was about to say, I, I mean, played, it is, just played a but ROM of it. Yeah. <laughs> my, my ROM was glitchy enough where I couldn't combine key presses. And so when you have to save Luca's mother or father or whatever when you have to save lucas parents uh you can't do the combined key presses so you have to like lose that portion of the storyline oh my god we already we we talked about this I'm, I'm not saying it's bad that we already talked about this but i'd forgotten we talked about this there are no combined buttons you just have to hit l a r a lara it didn't work you gotta me. save lara Okay. I, maybe it wasn't combined buttons, but I feel like I had all the other button functionality, so I don't think LARA was the problem. Like you, you, I don't think at any point in time do you ever have to use L and R. Like you can use one or the other for everything, because I think that's how you target multiple enemies, or that might be a Final Fantasy thing. That is probably no. That's probably what happened. Then is I didn't have functionality on one of those keys. Because I remember like trying to solve the problem and just being like, well, I'm afraid you're going to have to lose your legs. I think it's they lose their legs. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> or like lose yeah. function to it or something. Because she's still, she's a character. She's just sitting in a chair all the time. And no one ever says anything until Luca has that dream. And then if you, if you save her, she, she's moving again. She's standing upright. Gotcha. Nice. Maybe maybe it's not even that she loses her legs. It's just being in the accident causes her to have like Trauma. some some pain, some lower back pain. So it's unpleasant uh-huh. for her to stand up, like for like you know long periods of time. So maybe you don't have to feel so bad about it. No, I think you probably fucked her. I'm sorry. Way to go. Um, so I received an email on March first stating that. <laughs> From, this was from Sony, stating that after March 8th, 2019, the monthly games provided to PlayStation Plus members will no longer include PS3 or PS Vita titles. Vita titles. We need that air horn sound right <laughs> in there. Any PS3 or PS Vita monthly games downloaded or previously added to your download list will remain playable for as long as you remain a PlayStation Plus member. Basically, what they're saying is, hey, we're finally, 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 finally killing the Vita. No, like they've tried. They have been putting the dirt onto the Vita's <laughs> body. Like They've in been this trying, grave. but then they've been like just releasing new free games for it. it well, yes and no. yeah. Well, like, okay, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that, like, that's, that is true. They have continued to show a support, like a sign of support. They've, but they've been like one half of Sony's been like, all right, Vita, you're dead. Pile of dirt. Yeah. Then the PlayStation Plus was like, wait a second. <laughs> I, I think you're misconstruing this, though. What they were actually doing was releasing games on, quote-unquote, obsolete systems, like, to them. 
So they weren't losing anything on potential sales or money. It's just we had the illusion of, wow, they're giving us four free games. Oh, two of those games really like no one even plays because everyone that has PlayStation Plus is playing on a PS4. Whoops. Oh, well. Pretty much. So I've been kind of. My I've my bigger question is: Are they going to be? Are they going to move those titles that they would release in PlayStation Plus to PlayStation Four at this point now? I would imagine so that they just take an Xbox thing on it because now Xbox, since they're doing their games with gold every month, they've got four titles, usually four titles, releasing just to the Xbox One. Nothing's releasing to the 360. Yeah, so I've, that, so I've just been like, the right way to do it. So I've been like, yeah, I'm kind of waiting for this. And I misread the email when I first got it and thought it said uh, March 8th, 2018. So I was like, yes, <laughs> finally. Especially considering that the PlayStation Plus games for March of 2018, even though there's one title that you cannot download for the PlayStation 4, it's a PlayStation 3 exclusive, a PlayStation 3 title. The other three... There's one PlayStation 4 game and two cross-buys. One's for Vita, one's for PlayStation 3. So technically, you're getting three games for the PlayStation 4. You know, life. I've just been waiting for the day that they finally said, yeah, no, no more. Uh, speaking of which, one of the games that came out this month, or is coming out this month, is Bloodborne. Yep, that's actually down there in the yeah. farther down the list. And I know you guys that's have why been... <laughs> that's why I said it. <laughs> You guys have been talking about uh, watching my wife play it. I think. I think it's been have you guys. Have we talked about this? I mean, I think it's an interesting concept. I would love to see either of you play. I think you would do fine playing Bloodborne because, like, if, if you can play Monster Hunter like well, some of that carries over to uh, to Bloodborne. I think. If your wife doesn't play these types of games too often, it might be a treat watching her go up against some of these bosses for the first time. It's either been you two that have been have mentioned Bloodborne a few times about her playing it and are her co-work her old co-workers. Okay. So either way, it can now I happen. I think I brought up I brought up Bloodborne for Lizzie or at least Dark Souls in general. Nope, there you go. It was Scott. It's like, "Oh, you like the, you like the anime uh a kiss him not me." And I got a game for you. <laughs> so I, I did get Tiff to play Bloodborne for a while, and her biggest complaint was that going from games like Bayonetta or Near Automata, like the she was too hack and slash happy. Yeah, the inability to do animation cancels is like what kind of drove her away from that game. Mm, and it, it's interesting because Bloodborne is probably the fastest paced. Well, Souls actually, I, I haven't put in enough time into Dark Souls 3, but it's definitely faster than Dark one Souls 1 Bloodborne is as fast as Dark Souls 3, if not faster. Yeah, I'd, I'd, say that, I'd say that Bloodborne still holds the title for being in the top fastest, even if it's a tied place. And now I kind of want to play that game some more. No, you don't. <clears throat> I still haven't done the DLC for Bloodborne. Neil, I still haven't beaten it. And I still haven't played the DLC either. I haven't even played it. If if this were like three years ago, it would have been great to do like a Bloodborne Let's Play that like where we talked about the lore. Blood Buddies? Oh yeah. Blood Buddies. <laughs> yeah. Sounds that would have been so much fun. Sounds, yeah. <laughs> Sounds uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pansy. 
And in some not so <laughs> in some not so topical news, uh, Chucklefish's Stardew Valley inspired project Spellbound. This has been uh, apparently uh, a game or a title that's been circulating around for a bit. Uh, but their project Spellbound is a magic school RPG simulator that will have an emphasis on social life and lessons. Are you ready to play some Harry Potter the RPG? I'm ready to play some Harry Potter the Doki Doki life experience. You think yeah, there's going to be a Doki Doki twist? I don't think there's going to be a Doki Doki twist, but I think it's going to be... I'm ready to play Harry Potter the light novel. I think uh, from what I was looking at, it seems like the the gameplay itself is going to be kind of geared towards that top-down Zelda Link to the Past sort of feel, uh, like spell use instead of swords, that sort of thing. And and sorry, I, I should maybe make that clear. Chucklefish was the publisher for Stardew Valley. So, but because they were involved with Stardew Valley, people are making that link of like, you know, a Stardew Valley Harry Potter game, basically. So where's our uh, multiplayer Chucklefish? Well, they're not involved in the direct development of Stardew Valley, but I, I'm assuming that is potentially in QA right now. So that way we can finally play together because that was the only reason I got that game. Really? Yeah. But you knew I didn't have a Switch at that point in time, right? But I knew you were going to get one. Yeah, okay. And you were raving too much about Stardew Valley not to own it for the Switch when it happened. Have you not put a, that much time in it yet? I've put fairly a decent amount of time in it, but the last time I talked about it was the last time I played it, so, you know, ah. it's been years. It's, it's a good game. I think it's a great game. I think I, I have been waiting to play it for multi I mean, i've been waiting for multiplayer to come out to play any more of it too so like i'm waiting for that day i may very well just pick it up on the switch just to see how that goes but there we go then we can be star buddies star buddies or do buddies blood buddies and do buddies <laughs> do buddies sounds better it also sounds like we drink mountain dew together which hey, I- mountain dew let's do this <laughs> <laughs> and then the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, two trailers that came out for ReFantasy. And if you've forgotten, ReFantasy is the RPG project or fantasy-driven RPG project that Studio Zero is working on. Studio, Studio Zero being the, uh, the big three from Persona 3, 4, and 5. So we're going to take a break so you guys can watch these two trailers or these two... Uh, I guess you could say conceptual videos and uh, then I want to hear your reactions immediately after. Okay guys, now that you've seen both of the ReFantasy, Project ReFantasy trailers released in late 2017, what do you have to say? Why? (laughs) That's some quality shit posting right there. (laughs) I uh, I pulled up a video of Andy Warhol eating a hamburger after the night with the chicken one. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty much the same thing. It is the exact same type of video. Um, yeah, I don't even I'm know. I'm speechless. This is <laughs> bullshit. What, <laughs> what is the point of this? I mean, I'm sure there's some art director who is either feeling very smug and like clever about what they're doing or they're just like so without an idea on what to do to uh, present the fact that they don't have anything else to show what i thought when uh when i watched this was like oh they must have went on like a research trip to europe 
and then had to make something to make it look like it wasn't just a vacation to you know the studio heads or not studio so heads but a, to their bosses they put a confused <laughs> european man <laughs> in knight's armor and make him eat really salty pigeon i mean if if they're goal is to make us rethink what a fantasy rpg can be they've done it yeah maybe like instead of going to hang out with your classmates like you do in persona now you get to eat pigeon in the that middle was ages. an overall uncomfortable experience why it was real uncomfortable watching it at normal speed for the five minutes it takes or four and a half minutes it takes or whatever yeah especially when he gets the sh- uh the salt shaker which obviously or well salt shaker this the salt <laughs> it won't container. come out it won't come out and then it just spills all over the pigeon and then he proceeds to continue eating it oh it's a shame that how this is going to pan out is we're going to have the uh break for our listeners to watch the video um and then why they're going to come back and we're all going to w- complain about it together I'm I'm excited for this game. <laughs> You've been you should put out. a spoiler at the beginning of that. Like, hey, if you don't want your fucking time wasted, <laughs> just go ahead and skip <laughs> skip through the pause. That's all, all right. I have to say. I'm done recording. This has ruined my day. And I'm Neil. Now, uh, why? Before you go, do you have anything you're looking forward to, Scott? Shit, playing a bunch more into the breach. Um, I my goals right now are to just unlock as many mech crews as possible. And then start playing the game with randomized squads or random... Like, I want to randomize everything and then I want to build a custom squad. Those are the two goals I have. Uh, Otherwise, for gaming, I'm not sure what else I'm going to be doing besides playing this game. It's too good. Got to get my time in. Cookie? Why? Why did you show me that? Okay, um... Don't you kind of feel like Pigeon right now? I I am kind of hungry, but that's not the point. I'm a little peckish. Uh... You can peck away at that pigeon <laughs> like, like that knight did. Looking forward to some, um, to a little more Monster Hunter. Uh, now that I got the PlayStation VR back, like I said, I think I've got like, there's this uh, arena based shooter that you're floating out in the stars. Like uh, that came out for free a few months ago for PlayStation Plus, and I ended up grabbing it, but I didn't have the PlayStation VR with me. So I'll check out some PSVR games, see if they. Are just as bad as I remember them being. <laughs> I, I'm super curious. Uh, you'll have to tell me how bad the tracking feels compared to your HTC Vive now that you've only been playing the Vive and you go back to the PlayStation VR. Most definitely. And I guess I'm also looking forward to dedicating an hour a day, probably around like nine-ish, to streaming some Monster Hunter, starting over with a whole new character. and Educating some scrubs. Educating some scrubs. Yeah. Uh, if you give me a link or something to that, I'll throw it on to the uh, throw it on to the aren't podcast you? as well. Oh, okay, I was about to say, aren't you just auto hosting me on the um, Twitch? Yeah, but oh no, you can do Twitch off of the PlayStation Four, can't you? That's pretty yeah. cool. So yeah, so I'm just gonna be doing it to there. As for me, uh, I'm looking forward to finishing Breath of the Wild finally. Like I say, finally, but then at the same time, I'm also kind of sad that it's going to end soon. But I have to finish the game so I can play other games. I've uploaded a couple videos to Don, of Donnie Rampa's first chapter. We'll be finishing that trial today, and that's probably all we'll do for that. Uh, for I mean, for today at least. Shit, I think that's about it. Th- those videos are have been uploaded. They haven't been published. I wanted to get through the first chapter, and then then we could start actually releasing them, so it's a little more regular. Uh, and then I think yeah. And then there were two. 
Mm-hmm. Did he leave already? No, I'm oh. still here. <laughs> <laughs> if you have questions or suggestions, you can write into podcast at fancyramen.com. But the best way to help if us... If you have comments, you're a Russian bot. At that point, uh, the best way to help us grow our audience besides... You know what? Scott, you go. Go, Scott. Do it. All right. I got this. To all of you who are not Russian bots, I want you to spread your own information campaign about the Fancy Ramen podcast. The best way for us to get new listeners is for you guys to talk about us and how great this podcast is or how entertained you are by how poor this podcast is. I don't really care as long as that listener count goes up. So please tell a friend, tell a family member, anybody you see walking on the street. We'd love to have more listeners and we appreciate you listening and sharing the good word. And apparently there's not enough people reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. So more people do that. So then that way we can actually start seeing the reviews and then we can start reading those off. Someone will eventually one day once we can start. Please guys. Once we can start seeing those. Yeah. I don't want to download iTunes. I need other people to do reviews. Oh, I'll be able to read the reviews. I've got an iPad where iTunes is just automatically there. <laughs> There's no point not having iTunes on there. I think I don't think I can delete it. Yeah, it's probably a required thing unless you somehow jailbreak it. You can run Linux on it. Well, but why? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there are thousands upon thousands of people running Linux right now looking for that same answer. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. Bye, guys. Why?